Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I'm a little bit sick today, so nobody kiss me afterwards. I, I know. I, it's tough. I know. I, <laughs> I get it. I, you know, I, I get it. There's a mirror in my office. I get it. <laughs> We're going to be in Luke 24 today. Um, I want to share, we, you know, we just shared communion. And um, there's so many things I believe that God is doing, so many moving parts in the church. We're obviously, you know, get, got a new teaching tool here that we're going to need a communications or a, a creative arts team to put together. And um, we are really just driven by the idea that we need to do anything but sin to reach people for Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what really motivates me. One of the things that I know that the enemy tries to do, though, is not decrease our numbers necessarily, although if he can, he would. And it's not just necessarily to, to try to help, help us to have less resources and things like that or less offering. What the enemy wants to do is really destroy our passion for the call of Jesus on our lives. And I talk to so many Christians who just, you know, they'll, they'll say something like, you know, at one point, I was excited. At one point, you know, things just sort of, really, I'd just get into a, I could get into a conversation about ice cream sandwiches and somehow we'd end up talking about Jesus, right? It just seemed to overflow like Jesus said. But over time, that zeal began to wane. That passion began to go. And they, they're like, you know what, I'm in church and, and, I, and I, think, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I don't have open sin in my life. You know, what could it be? I want to talk to you today about what it could be. And it may not be something you're, you're thinking of and it may be something that's a little bit surprising. But let's look together at Luke 24 beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. They, he asked them, Why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's like September 12th and somebody saying, What towers? Right. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence and thank you for the time of worship we've enjoyed. We would have our eyes open to see Jesus. Father God, I know that there are, there are brothers and sisters in this place, Lord, that you are drawing and you are leading. Some of us are confused. Some of us are disappointed. Father God, meet us where we are and bring us, lead us to the place we need to go. We want to glorify you, not just in this service, but in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not told why they're walking to Emmaus, but we can see they're not where God wants them to be. Now, you may say, well, how can you tell that just from this passage? First of all, look at their attitude. Look at the witness they project to this stranger. This is a witness of defeat and of discouragement, and that doesn't win anyone to Christ. Secondly, by looking at where they went and what they did once they had been with Jesus, they immediately turned around and began to walk a different direction. Now, Jesus said this, by their fruits, you will know them. Not by their church attendance, not by their giving, not by what appears to be zeal, but by the fruit that is produced through those things. Those things are all important. Those things are all necessary. We're not going to get where we need to go without prayer, without time in the Word, without connecting with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Jesus said it is by the fruit that is produced through your life that people are going to see you. I once spoke to a group of kids in one church about dissension in their congregation and divisions that some of them had seen in their youth group. They wanted to know why some adults came to church, hello, and raised their hands in praise, then went back home and and had roast preacher for lunch, or ran down the church, or ran down other people in the congregation. This was a church that was growing. And these young people wanted to know why with all the blessings, why was there still so much division between the people in the church? And I told him, look, you are always going to find some level of defect and hypocrisy in every church. It's made up of human beings. So expecting to find sinless perfection in a church that is put together, that is constructed to bring us into sinless perfection, it means by definition we're not there yet. And so you're always going to find some of that. But I told them the next time you saw these things happening, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to examine the fruit of the life of the one who's speaking and compare it to the fruit of the person or ministry that they're criticizing. Because God speaks approval through fruit. Knowledge can be fake. There's a lot of people act like they know more than they know. I'm sure you've met plenty of these people. If you've been on social media 15 minutes, man, everybody became an expert in medicine during the, you know, the, the, the pandemic, right? And then, and then right around election time, everybody becomes a political science major. Right? Everybody knows more than they... Than they and, and you can fake zeal, you can fake concern for others, and on and on. God grants spiritual fruit to the people He's hanging out with. God grants spiritual fruit to the people He's hanging out with. Look, you can criticize anyone you want, but if you're not producing more fruit than them, it's going to make you look ridiculous, first of all, and secondly, it's going to limit your life. I want to talk about this in a minute. But it's going to make you look sad. People don't even realize it. But you know what I'm talking about. You know those people and you're like, uh, uh-huh. You've given them like, oh, that's you eight. Man, that's crazy. Uh-huh. Like ten, uh-huh. And they still won't, you know, they still keep going. And you're trying to, I read a, I read a, a vice column about some lady. She's like, I know I'm long-winded, but when I talk to this person, he doesn't even say goodbye. He just hangs up. I said, well, that ought to tell you something about you. 
right? I mean, if you're talking to the same person every time they just kind of silently hang up, they had enough. I can look at this text and without even knowing the names of these individuals or their calling, I can tell you that they are walking outside of God's will. It's real simple. When you immediately turn around after the presence of Jesus shows up, it means you weren't walking in the right direction to begin with. If you immediately turn around and walk a different direction when the presence of Jesus shows up, it means you weren't walking in the right direction before he arrived. Now, look, they were talking about what had happened, but they were talking about it without any joy. And talking just about what God is doing isn't enough. If you want to be contagious in your Christianity, you have to be talking about what God is doing with the excitement of knowing that his will is being accomplished. Some Christians talk about what's going on, but all they communicate is doubt, questioning God, or self-pity. You know, Proverbs says this, by the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. In other words, you can talk yourself into poverty. You go into a job interview and you just say, you know, I quit my other job because the boss was a jerk and everybody there was an idiot. Thank you for your time. I ain't hiring you, right? Your mouth can keep running. If you, the Bible says that even a fool, if he shuts up, is thought to be wise, right? You don't say that. They think you're wise. James says that the tongue is like a rudder. It's small, but it steers the ship. Anybody ever see that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? I love the scene where, where the, the mom's talking to the daughter at the wedding, and she says, but, but mom, I thought daddy was the head of the house. And she says, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And the neck makes the head turn any way it wants. <laughs> Every husband's here like, amen, amen. <laughs> we know, we know. Solomon says the power of life and death is in the tongue. See, it's one thing to vent, but Satan wants that to become habit. And I don't know how many people I've talked to when I, when I start to counsel with them, something that began as a situational depression became clinical because they just taught their brain the pattern of negativity. The Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And one of the things I tell people, I ask them in, in that situation is, what is thicker? What skin is thicker? The skin under your arm or the skin at the bottom of your foot, the ball of your foot? And they always say the ball, the ball of my foot. Why? Because I use it all the time. The patterns in your brain that you engage day in and day out, the negativity, the criticality, the way you look at yourself and others, if you don't get a handle on that, that is going to become chronic. It is going to become who you are. And I've seen too many Christians that become bitter by the end of their lives. The words that they speak, you don't just, you don't just people say you, you, you eat your words, right? <laughs> you, you, you become your words. You if you speak something over and over and you think something a certain way, and that's where Satan is trying to get these people. See, the devil is doing one thing. Jesus comes alongside and he does something else. And what I think is so cool is they don't even notice Jesus doing what he's doing until Jesus is gone. Didn't our hearts burn within us? Well, we, were, we didn't even notice what he was doing until he'd already done it. But I look at the, just the description of the scene. They're walking along. Their faces are downcast. It's like, you, you ever have a kid just don't want to go somewhere? <laughs> right? Their body just communicates it to everybody what's going on. 
And, and, and their faces are looking down. They're talking about what has happened, but they don't really want to talk about it. You ever have that happen? You want to talk about it? No. And in like 10 seconds later, you know, I just, because you, you can't stop talking about it. You don't want to talk about it, but you're so discouraged and hurt that you can't help but talk about it. That's exactly where these two disciples are spiritually. See, it's one thing, like I said, to vent. Satan wants us to take up residence there. He wants us to live there. He wants that to become the pattern. Look at the grief in those words. Jesus was a great prophet, they say. In other words, this is, this is, not, this is not right. This, this innocent man was condemned. He's powerful in word and deed. He's standing before the people speaking the truth of God to them in verse 19. In other words, this just ain't fair. And they feel betrayed, verse 20. Our priests, our, these are the guys that preach to us. These are the ones that teach us. And they're the ones that, that turned him over. You ever been stabbed in the back by somebody you trusted? Man, that, that's how they're feeling. It's our chief priests. It's our rulers that handed him. It wasn't the Romans. It's our guys that did this. Verse 21, their hope has been, been just sucked out of them. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And some of our women, in other words, they're, they're like... They show up and they tell us a story about an empty tomb. And we went there and we see, yeah, the tomb is empty, but we didn't see Jesus. They're just discouraged. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I've heard people that's, that, that come up with stories. And they come up with ideas. And you listen to them and you're just like, man, that ain't, that's just you. That's what you want to believe. That's not what really God's doing. I've heard more than one recounting of some vision or word supposed, supposedly from the Lord. It sounds to me like something this individual conjured up just to avoid dealing with, with what he or she needed to deal with. Oh, you know, God promised me it was okay to marry this person. I know they're not a believer. I know they're unsaved. But God told me they're going to get saved. No, God didn't. God did not tell you to dismiss his word and walk contrary to his word. Because of some future promise down the road. His word doesn't act like that. It doesn't work like that. When God speaks to his word, God even says he elevates his word. He lifts up his word. He cannot lie. I am the Lord. I do not change. One woman, she wrote me a note. She actually wrote me a letter. And she was talking about how uh, she was, well, she said, I'm really sorry for what I did. But I believe God told me to do it. So, I mean, unwrap my brain here. You're really sorry for obeying God? Or you're just sorry because you know it wasn't God? And, and I think that's what it was. She, she left the church destructively, violated numerous commands and scriptures in the way she left. And if I was in the place of, of these disciples here in Luke 24, I would have thought it was probably like those people. They're just, just conjuring up ideas that just, that's just what they want to believe. That's what gets them through tonight. They went to the tomb. They found people don't rise from the dead, right? This ain't Princess Bride. He wasn't mostly dead. <laughs> I mean, he was beaten. To, first of all, he was sleep deprived. He had hematidrosis, which is bloody sweat, which makes the skin very, very sensitive. He was beaten. He was whipped. Go in my office. I have a crown of thorns from the Holy Land. I cannot pick, pick that up without, touch, without a towel around it. And even then, I think I've, I've been able to successfully grab it once and put it in a box without cutting myself. It's that sharp. He's whipped. He's flogged. He's within an inch of his life. He's nailed to a cross. And then, just for good measure, 
they shove a spear that goes into his heart and pericardium. How do we know that? Because blood and water flowed out. He was all the way dead and everybody knew he was all the way dead. The Roman soldiers, that that was their job to professionally kill people, they knew he was all the way dead. His family knew he was all the way dead. And so here's these women, oh no, he's alive! What would you think? They're just making up stories. They see an empty tomb and they're just believing what they want to believe. Jesus said in uh, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. Jesus is, is coming alongside these disciples and helping them to understand what God had really, it, it had really done. The enemy comes to steal your zeal, to destroy your zeal. But Jesus comes to restore your zeal. And I want to talk about that because I want to talk about the three ways that he does that, that I see in this passage. That if we neglect, we're going to be seeing our zeal for Jesus diminish. We may still be committed, faithful people. But I want more than just to be committed to my wife because I have to be. I want to be deeply in love with my wife. And I tell couples all the time, there's a process to ensure that happens in your relationship. But you have to choose between the two. Do you just want to be committed? I ain't moving. That's good. That's noble. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're like that. But do you want to be excited about the things that God has given you? The first thing I think, see that Jesus does is he teaches them. Now Paul says this in Galatians 4.18. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm with you. He talks about zeal in, in to the Corinthian church, zeal apart from knowledge being destructive. And that's where so many of us are. God wants us to burn with zeal for his purposes, but he also wants, as we just read in John, for us to have an understanding of why we're to be passionate for him. We live in an age where most people, I'm not talking about people who just got saved 15 minutes ago. Most people who identify as Christians, haven't read the Bible. Now, Jesus said that the Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. So imagine you have a teenager, you say, did you study for that test? No, I'm just going to trust the Spirit of God to give me the right answers. You won't fail, right? Because you can't remember what you never learned in the first place. Now, this is what's so cool. I talk to Christians like, Pastor, you know, I just, I don't have that kind of memory. I'll read something and it just goes in one ear and out the other. I just don't, I'm not able to retain all that stuff. I say, you think you're not. But the Bible doesn't say your brain will bring all things to your remembrance. The Bible says the spirit. And you begin to get into a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden these words come, where do those come from? Because the spirit of God is bringing those things to your, your remembrance. Look guys, too many people have given their lives to preach the gospel. Too many, many people have actually died and been martyred so that we can have the word of God. We don't have the right. We're disrespecting, we're dishonoring those who have died to bring us the word of God if we don't get the word of God into us. Check this out real quick.
Man, they don't even want to damage the shrink wrap. They are so excited. But you see the two things they said. Number one, they realize with all the persecution, I'm sure they probably know personally people who've gone to jail, who've been imprisoned for their faith and their testimony. And so they realize the Word of God is just what we need. There are Chinese Christians that would have one piece of the Bible and they just pass it around. So imagine you just had one page time and people pass it around. And all of a sudden, brothers and sisters from another country make it possible for each of to have your own Bible. And they're just rejoicing and they're saying, I just think of the sacrifices that people have made. People, somebody had to buy that. Somebody had to risk to bring it in so that we could have the Word of God. Here, here's the difference. You ever go into a car dealership and they're like, well, how much is this car? And they're like, well, the base price is this much. And, and I'm like, okay, so what about the options? Well, if you want a steering wheel, a what? Now, if you want wheels on the car, and did, did you want an engine? See, there are, there's a difference between an essential component and an option. And too many times we're treating the Word of God like it's an option. We treat the things of God, our worship, our gathering together, the, the things that God calls us to, our prayers, as options. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. He didn't say, if you give. He said, when you give. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. If you're not, if you're not seeking the Lord, if you're not releasing the things of the, this earth, if you're not practicing self-denial, then you're not walking in imitation of the one who taught us how to do these things. And so we have to begin to recognize when Jesus comes along, I mean, that, that's got to be harsh, man. He comes up to them and they begin to say, share this stuff. And the first thing he says is, how foolish you are. That's not, that's not easy. Right? Some stranger walks up to you, how slow of heart you are. Man, that's, that's some... Right? You know, that's like a gut check, man. That's like right there. But what Jesus has to understand is until you get the truth into you, you're not going to be a very good communicator of the truth. You can communicate your admiration for what Jesus has done, but Jesus has called us to do more than that. The second thing I see here is fellowship. You're not going to burn for Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked with us. What's your prayer life like? What's your devotional time like? Move that into the relational. What would your marriage look like if you didn't connect regularly with your spouse? I actually had a woman who put a comment on my Facebook. I, I, I don't know. She's an older single lady. Maybe she's just bitter. I don't know. But she just said, you're going to have to learn to sacrifice some date nights if you want to see revival. Okay, you're going to have to grow some fish if you want to go to the Outback Steakhouse. I, what does one have to do with the other? God wants us to be passionate about the blessings he puts in our... Now, never to the extent where we don't seek his face, 
But God wants us to do the things that he gives us to do. And he wants us to be passionate. So many times people get bitter because especially we see this in social media. All they're doing is they're comparing their life with somebody else's life. And you look at the life of David and he said, he begins to praise the Lord. He says, your boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Now, David was the guy who invented wanting more. Right? But when David was content with what God did, he walked in a place of blessing. You go and study the life of David and you see things like David inquired of the Lord. And you see chapters that begin with, now David inquired of the Lord. And what follows is blessing. And then you see the next chapter, David thought to himself and bad stuff followed. David, when he was content and when he was, go read the Psalms he wrote. And look at the way he praises God for what, God, you took, I was a nobody, I was a nothing. And you took me and you, you, you just elevated me and you promoted me and you gave me all, and I'm not worthy of it. And, and, and now you're talking about, about blessings to come on my children. Who am I, Lord? But when he was on that rooftop and he's looking down at Bathsheba and he got discontent with what he had, what did he bring into his life? Suffering, pain. And so many of us, all we're doing is we're looking at what we want and we haven't learned how to just praise God for what he's given us. We haven't learned how to just glorify him. See, one of the things I know when you spend time with Jesus is you begin to experience this feeling of liberty and release. You begin to, kind of like when you're, you're getting off work on a Friday, right? And you're like, nah, all right. Now, I, you just kind of feel free. I, I think back to um, when, when we would go to Disney World and we'd bring the kids there. And I'd mess with them because you'd see a sign like Disney World left. I'm like, see, it's gone. We got to go home. Um, <clears throat> but they begin to see signs. Disney World! 30 miles. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a long half hour, right? But, but they're so excited. It's like they're already there. And it's the same thing Christmas time. Like, remember when you were a kid, two, three days before Christmas, and, and you know where mom and dad hit the presents, and you're like getting so excited, and all the preparations are being made. And it's, all, it's like it's already there. And I've seen that happen in prayer meetings, where we just begin to touch the presence of God. We, get, we forget about the clock. And we're just so in love with Jesus. Almost like we're in heaven at that moment. You never want it to end. If you've ever been just really in the presence of Jesus. And you've just been overwhelmed by his spirit. Nobody is thinking, well, I'll do this for a half hour or so. You don't even think about the clock. You don't even care. You just want more and more of it. And that's what begins to happen. Churches can begin to experience that. We're seeing this with these revivals. Last I heard, there's 21 universities that are experiencing some kind of move of God where they're just seeking the Lord in prayer. And that's usually a precursor. That's usually a precursor to revival. I hear people all the time saying, well, this is going on in Ashbury and it's a revival. I'm like, that's not revival. Not yet. It's step one where God's people humble themselves and seek his face and they allow themselves to be broken and they just get in the presence of Jesus. But revival is what happened after Jesus left and they went back. Imagine that walking, walking another seven or eight miles to get back to Jerusalem. Man, I remember dropping my car off and I thought it was like only a mile or so, a mile and a half from my work. It ended up being like four miles it's like hot and it's South Florida. And by the time I got there, I'm like tired. 
I can't even imagine you walk. And I was a young guy. You walk eight miles in the heat in the Middle East, right? We're after the Passover, so it's hot. And then they walk another eight miles at night. Wild animals, bandits, robbers. They walk back another eight miles. Why? To witness. Witness is critical. All of a sudden, there's purpose to what they've endured. The burning in their hearts from before that they spend time in Jesus has turned into a fire. Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's where they were. They'd already walked seven or eight miles. And they walk another seven or eight miles. And look what happens in verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. So you remember their story. They only just had up to where the women went in the tomb and found it empty. That's all they knew. And now they're hearing it's true. They walk into revival and they're the special guest speakers. Wait till you hear what just happened to us. Jesus walked with us and kept us from recognizing. Don't tell me God don't have a sense of humor. Breaks the bread. It's Jesus. Poof, he's gone. <laughs> right? He just disappears from their sight. See, let me tell you something. You were not created to experience the joy of the Lord apart from sharing your testimony. And this is why so many Christians run dry after not that long. It's not that we all need to become street preachers, but we do need to become strategic. Take somebody out for coffee. Encourage them with what Jesus is doing in your life. Join a life group where you can talk to other people about what Jesus is doing in your life. Start having family devotions where you can share with your loved ones what Jesus is doing in your life. Jesus didn't say we overcome by testifying to lost people who hate you. We have to be willing to do that. Those Chinese Christians, I'm sure, were willing to do that. But they were experiencing the joy of the Lord in community. And they're talking in, in gratitude. This is what we need. We're so excited. Thank you, Lord, for sending these people to help. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's, but I've been depressed. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But, but you don't understand. I've just been feeling beaten down. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb is, a, is something done. It's finished. The word of our testimony is something that proceeds through us. That's why when we talk about fruit, we have to understand there's two kinds of fruit. There's the inward fruit and the external fruit. There's the inward, and the Bible calls it what? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what God is doing on the inward, right? He's, he's producing Christ because Jesus is all those things. He's producing Christ in us. But then there is, go ye therefore, the great commission, and make disciples. The very word, disciple, means to shape somebody or something in the image of something else. You are my disciples if you, Jesus said. Right? And he taught us how to, how, if you wish to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you wish to be my disciple. So it wasn't just about if you'd like to be a believer. It wasn't just if you want to be saved. If you want to be like me. See, that was the sin of the Pharisees. You don't commit adultery, Jesus said. Because you'd know if you committed adultery, you'd lose your position, you'd lose your respect, and all that stuff is too, too valuable to you. 
You love the place of honor at feasts. You love the praise of man as you walk down the street. But you lust in your heart, don't you? In other words, you don't want to go to hell, but you don't really want to be like God. And that's what Jesus condemned them for. And so over and over and over, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you want to get saved? You want to, get, you want to, you, you want to believe? He says, if you would be my disciples. And we overcome by speaking about what Jesus is doing in our lives, with communicating, with sharing that. If there is no mechanism, look, like I said, I'm not saying everybody has to go out and be a street preacher. I've done it. It's great. I was talking to somebody this morning who, who, who does ministry. He's ministered to street gangs and all this stuff. And, I, and we were just sharing back and forth because I used to do um, inner city ministry in inner city Miami where the riots were. Some of you old enough to remember Overtown and Liberty City and the city burning. That's where we would do a lot of our street ministry. And we'd minister primarily to homeless people. I've done ministry for, in maximum security prisons for a couple of years I did that. And I was telling this person, I said, man, I loved it. It was probably the most rewarding time of my life, but I also knew the Bible says, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a seed. And I knew God was calling me to a place of leadership in the local church so that I could reproduce what God had done in my life. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And some of us, we're seeing our zeal wane and we're, we're not as passionate as we used to be. And, and yeah, you know, I'm still committed. But man, imagine if I was doing a wedding. And I've done quite a few over the years. I don't even know how many I've done. But imagine if I said to the bride, do you promise to love and honor and cherish, etc.? And she said, I guess so. If he wants me to. I'd turn to the broom and say, run. <laughs> run now. Run fast. Run for a long time. Because you don't want that kind of bride. Are we that kind of bride? Are we really passionate about the groom, Christ Jesus? Are we really excited about this royal wedding that's to come? Or are we just, well, I know I'm supposed to go to church and I know I'm supposed to do these things. That's not where God wants us. And that's not what Je Jesus doesn't say. What is wrong with you guys? Here's the set of rules. Here's the list. Do these things. He comes and he hits him, gut punch. You guys are foolish. You guys are slow. But he walks with them anyway. And he begins to teach them. And they spend time in the presence of Jesus. And by the end of it, they're ready to go out and encourage other people. See, over the years, I've learned a few things about what God wants in the church. He wants wisdom. He wants maturity. He wants godliness and purity and praise and worship. He wants generosity and proclamation. But if we're not passionate about these things, if we're not excited about the plan of God behind our praise... If we're just, well, hey, God, I'm glad there's more seats being filled up and I'm glad there's more, you know, less spots in the parking lot. If that's it, if we're not passionate about souls, then we haven't been transformed the way God wants us to be transformed. See, Jesus isn't here to scold at you because you haven't invited anyone to church lately or because you haven't shared your faith with your neighbor. But he does want to reignite the flame that made you do that stuff in the past. He's here to make you understand that only by having him open your eyes... They were, not, they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus, the Bible says at the end there, then their eyes were opened, right? Then they began to see. They recognized Jesus and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us on the road? 
He wants us to reignite that passion, reignite that zeal that made us do that stuff in the past. And most of us can look back to a time where we just began to share freely. It was, as Jesus said, like a living well overflowing. We'd start talking about one thing and we'd end up talking about Jesus because we couldn't help it. Because Jesus is out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can tell what's important to folk. I can tell what's, what matters to people because it's what they talk about. And sometimes, you know, your, your thumbs too, what you're texting about and what you're posting about. And it's like, are you really passionate about the things of God and the kingdom of God? We just took communion and, and, and Paul says, as often as we do that, we proclaim his death until he comes. It's a backward look, but it's also a forward look. And if we're not excited about what he's done for us, and if we're not excited about the fact that he's going to return, then we need him to do a work in us. Here's the simple truth. We can't act like the devil and do the work of Jesus. The devil's job is to accuse. His job is to tear down. That's what he does. His, his work is to get us discouraged. I know we have an imperfect church filled with imperfect people led by an imperfect pastor. It's no great accomplishment to find something wrong with Christians and with churches. But here's the thing. I also know we serve a perfect God and we will never get any more like him by looking at the flaws and mistakes of others. The devil does that all day long and he's never any more like God at the end of the day. All day long, the enemy looks at what's wrong with you, what's wrong with your neighbor, what's wrong with your church. He glories in it. And he's not any more like Jesus at the, at the end of doing so. At the end of it all, he's still the devil. Look, I, I want us to understand something here. What Jesus wants us to do is to look beyond our discouragement, our depression, our disillusionment, and into his face and be reminded that if he is at work in us, there is a whole lot to be excited about. And if this isn't for you, it isn't for you. But, but if it is... I want you to be honest with the Lord and say, God, I know I'll never get built up by tearing down other people. I know I'm never going to become any more like Jesus by focusing on what's wrong with this world. But if you're serious and if you really want to become more like him, if you really want to be a vessel, and, and here's the thing, sometimes we're only ready to be ready, if you know what I'm saying. Some of us, you might say, man, I, I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm ready to be ready. I think that's where those disciples were. They weren't ready, but they were ready to be ready. And Jesus walked with them anyway and made them ready. And then, by the end of the story, they were able. Come on, let's stand together. Church, Jesus said in Matthew 18 that when we pray according to his will... That whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It'll be done for him. He said, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So here's the plan. I want to ask anyone in this place who wants to get to that place. Don't worry. Don't look around. Don't worry about what the praise team is doing. I want you to come to the altar and be honest with God. Either you're ready right now to receive what God has for you or you're not ready at all or you're ready to be ready. And all God is looking for 
is for you to bow before him and be honest with him. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we want to worship you in our song, but, but God, we want to worship you when we leave this place too. We want to be springs of living water, overflowing, bringing life to the people around us, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to Idaho Falls, to Bonneville County. As far as you send us, Lord, we want to bring life. We want to be transformational. We want to be encouragers. Father God, I know right now I speak to somebody. They're not even close to being ready, but you've made them aware that they're not. I'm speaking to somebody that's only ready to be ready. And you've made them aware of that. And I'm speaking to somebody who's right on the edge. And they're ready to be used tomorrow in what you want them to do. Lord, by your spirit, invite them into your presence. Walk with us, Jesus. Bring glory to your name in transformation. And if the Spirit is speaking to you, church, don't look around. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Just get out of your seat. Kneel before Him. Say, God, you spoke to me. I'm responding to you here. In Jesus' name, amen.